Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights and Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and as we enter the business end of the season, I'm joined by Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, Ian Brandt and Jefferson Lake, all ready to get stuck into the serious work of talking cobblers. How are you doing, guys? You okay? Yeah, it's uh, it's good to talk to you again. <laughs> Andy, how are you doing, mate? Have you got a football moment of the week for us? Uh, yes, I have. So, obviously... Uh, Tuesday night, getting coming to terms with playing 13 men um, <laughs> after what happened down at Charlton. I mean, fast forward 24 hours. Um, I mean, Schadenfreude is is a wonderful word, very long word, but um, what is what is, what is the German for that? Um, I, I just get back to it. We all we we all know, um, but it's, it's just the challenge of writing it down. Um, I mean. <laughs> Is it, not often you get to enjoy it in real life, um, which I, probably why I probably speak for all of us in saying that's why you know football gives you so much more than you know just the sight of Northampton Town losing actual matches. Um, you know, it's a way to often often sort of vicariously live out your fantasies, uh, which is why Juventus getting knocked out of the Champions League was an absolute delight. Um, <laughs> Mr. Agnelli, who runs runs the Runs the place there and well, so almost runs European football, second only to um, your man Seferin as the chairman of the European Clubs Association, wants to change the Champions League rules. So, um, you know, uh, the bigger clubs are guaranteed spots, wants to um, increase everything, um, reduce competitiveness, um, almost give a buy to, um, you know, the big boys of European football, um, but the one thing they can't do, despite buying Ronaldo, is is win it. Um, <laughs> and obviously, sort of Ronaldo, um, you know, charging down the free kick the other night, running out, um, jumping, turning his back, you know, leading to the free kick that helps to eliminate them, was just a wonderful moment. Because, um, I mean, you can't, well, it's, it's getting increasingly straightforward too dislike Juventus it's more the characters that um, infuse the name of that club with their their personality but Mr Agnelli bye-bye good riddance I mean obviously he'll, he'll push the proposals through from 2024 uh, onwards I think we will have a, a Euro League basketball Euro League style mega Champions League format um, but I mean hopefully they won't have won it again by then and um, hopefully <laughs> never will again bye-bye Agnelli bye-bye Juve <laughs> Your ah, 
<laughs> but Juve aren't really popular at all in Italy, aren't they? Obviously, in certain parts of Turin, they are. But Juve have always had this sort of Billy Big Bollocks reputation, yeah. really quite unpopular in the rest of Italy. Is that true, Andy, would you say? Well, yes, I think that's absolutely true. Um, uh, and also, I mean, it would be about 15 years ago. The whole Luciano Moggi and the Calciopoli scandal. I mean, what can you do? Uh, moan about it on podcasts. It's not good. But is, it's, it, it was just wonderful yeah. to see them get knocked out the other night. Yeah. And is the Agnelli family, are they the Fiat people from Fiat or? They are, yeah. I mean, she's, his dad ran Juve, his uncle yeah. ran Juve. Um, it was all started by, by the granddad, I think. Indeed, yeah, they are. They're Italian aristocracy. Mm, um, it just feels like, I was thinking about this the other day, that clubs like Juve and a lot of these huge European clubs, Back in, you know, back when I was younger, the way I would think about them where they were sort of aspirational clubs that, you know, that, you know, when you used to play championship manager and stuff, there were like, are these really great European clubs back in the days of the European Cup and those days before the Champions League. And now it just feels sort of ironic that Agnelli was, you know, is involved with fear that these clubs are actually becoming basically just huge mega brands. And I'm losing all detachment with them, really. I don't find them aspirational. I don't see anything good about them at all. And I, I guess uh, games like FIFA as well, they add to that sort of virtual feel. And it just feels like football is being ripped apart, like from our level to that level. It's just, you can't you can't sort of uh, equate it, can you now? No, exactly. Um, there was even a, I read a sort of um, interview where he was quoted as saying, you know, Generation X or whatever, nobody's interested in football, if you look at that demographic, 16 to 24-year-olds these days. So to yeah. get so, so to reset that, we need a, a basketball EuroLeague-style thing where basically you've got, sort of, you know, Champions League on every night, basically. Um, every team guaranteed 10 matches. And, I mean, you think sort of, football's wall to wall in these covid times that's yeah. how it will that's how it will be if um, they get their way which I, they probably will european clubs association chairman andrea agnelli has floated the idea of offering fans the opportunity of a subscription for the last 15 minutes of matches to compensate for the attention span of today's kids so yeah oh just... yes so you already watched the last 15 minutes of the game God, that's what happened to football have a word. <laughs> we soon have entire matches distilled into a 30-second TikTok video. Just just wait and see. That's that will happen very soon, I'm sure. This of it. is the slope we're on. This is the slope we're on, I'm quite sure. So instead of watching cobblers, we could just watch a like a slapstick you've been framed like, <laughs> like an old granny slipping <laughs> on a how would we be able to tell the difference? <laughs> it would give us more time in our day wouldn't it instead of waiting an hour and a half on the cobblers we just watch a 20 second you've been framed clip so um yeah uh the best ever you've been framed clip if you're a you've been framed uh aficionado is the man old man who fell into his collapsible canoe that for me is the best ever one. So no, it's just if you can ever find it, it's probably lost in the sands of time. But that would represent cobblers quite well. He tries to open his collapsible canoe and he gets his legs in, and then the whole thing eats him up. And he disappears into it. Yeah. So, um, Andy, that was a good one. And Agnelli clearly uh, is on another planet, literally another football planet, and it's just hard to see where it's going to end. But I guess we're rooted to the <laughs> reality of Northampton, realities of uh, League One. 
Um, let's go to you, Ian. Have you got a football moment of the week? Are you there, Ian? I do, Tom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I am here. I, Dustin, Dustin coming in. Dustin calling. Yeah. Um, okay. It was more of a kind of ponderous sort of. Scenario. Just bear with me, guys. Obviously, the big, big news this week. Um, don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, Harry and Meghan's interview. I don't know if you guys. No, what's that, that? mate? What's, what's so, basic, yeah, so, so basically, a lot of people are saying that um, the monarchy and the British media making the same mistakes again that they did with Diana. And obviously, it got me thinking, Diana, she, she was a local girl, wasn't she? She, she yeah. was up at Althorpe. Now, Althorpe, on a good day, I reckon you could probably get to Althorpe from Althorpe to Six Fields or PTS Academy, 15, 20 minutes on a good day. Yeah, no traffic. Yeah. Especially yeah. back, you know, when Di was around, sort of <laughs> mid-90s. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it past her, knowing what she was like. She was known for going incognito, wasn't she, and blending in with the ordinary folk. Mm. She, she, that's how she was so down to earth. Mm. I wouldn't have been shocked. I mean, wasn't, wasn't there a story <laughs> her and Fergie not... Um, Alex Ferguson, uh, Sarah Ferguson. They didn't. They go out in the town dressed as police women once. And I heard that she also went clubbing with George Michael in, in incognito. I wouldn't have been shocked if, if back in the day she was in, somewhere in that West Stand in in sort of copper's merchandise. Can you imagine her like in that squirrel jacket? You know that that squirrel coat that we see that lady wears. That clown and white coat. The beaver. beaver yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Di was wearing a beaver coat, um, sunglasses, maybe a, a, a cobbler's baseball cap she got from the club shop. And it just got me thinking. I, I got quite sad the impact that she could have had on the club if, if the tragedy hadn't happened, if the monarchy and the paparazzi never hadn't got it so badly wrong. And those, those two key moments, I think, having Di around the club would have helped us. Okay. Picture the scene. Um, I think, Jeff, you might have covered this one. Or might be slightly <laughs> before your time. Autoglass um, area semi-final with 2-0 up. Um, and then Samo gets that second yellow. We're down to 10 men. And Scott <laughs> McLeish at the time, he was at Colchester. He yeah, got a yeah. hat-trick, didn't he? Yeah. Without. And he I remember hearing yeah. Cardo was furious. Just imagine if, like, after that first yellow, Samo looks up to the West Stand and they're, they're <laughs> up in the sort of... I'd say the north side, the north side of the west, just like the more quieter area, not the not the big, you know, where the, all the lads go. The other side, there, someone like the, the sunglasses are lowered, those piercing blue eyes come across, and you hear a mouth, just calm down, calm down, and Samo just takes stock, sees out the game without any sort of dangerous challenges. We'd have, we'd have gotten, we could have been, had a Wembley appearance. And speaking of Wembley, I think the other one, if Di had been around. <laughs> The, the playoff semi, the playoff final, sorry, against Bradford. Yeah. If she'd have been the VIP that day, there to present the trophy. I don't know. Mm. Bayo getting left on the bench when all the murmurs <laughs> came out about that team selection. I could just imagine her just dip, nipping into the changing room and having a chat, introducing herself to the players, and yep. and, and you know, and I think you know, obviously. <laughs> If you remember Bayo, he was on he was on Soccer AM, wasn't he? I was horrified when Helen Chamberlain called him Addy. Uh, I don't um, think Di would I think Di wouldn't have been even Addy. It wouldn't have been uh, It would have been B, like the real. She would have made close <laughs> human contact with him. 
she would rather chat with him, you know, how are you and, and how far did it take you to, how long did it take you to get here today? And then maybe mm-hmm. a quick chat with AD. She could have sort of said, oh, I've just been taught chatting to B and he's not very happy. He's travelled a long way to be here today. <laughs> and the, the, the rumours about the McDonald's in his car, they're not true. And I think she would have smoothed, I think, again, AD, looking into those piercing blue eyes, it would have said, oh, sorry, big mistake here. Get on, you're starting. Sorry, Clive, you dropped. And then, obviously, if Clive was upset, Di could have sort of made him feel better about himself as well. She was so down to earth. Mm. So, basically, <laughs> Ian, it's basically if Diana hadn't got involved with Dodie and all those shenanigans towards the end of her life and actually got really stuck into supporting Northampton Town FC, things could have yeah. turned out a whole lot different. Like, maybe Al Spencer bought cobblers off of Derek Banks. Could have all been but a hell of a I don't. I remember actually the club had a family day planned for the, that tragic day, um, 31st of August 1997. They had like, and I don't know, you know, if that had gone well, and think the, the, the monies that came in the coffers from that, mm, it could have been held us over. The, yeah, the ITV digital era, like that collapse, that might not have happened, and that was kind of where things sort of started going wrong. Mm. So, just some thoughts. Sorry to kind of, you know, <laughs> overall. It's plausible, Ian. Thing. I remember going to Rochdale away back in the 90s and Gmail was there and on his arm he had this sort of coquettish blonde lady. She was like, she had her hair in a, in a sort of thing. She was covered up. She had sunglasses on. She was very well spoken. I think that was actually Lady Di. I reckon she might have had a thing with Gima. It's all adding up now and life could have been so different if it would have, you know, turned out different, but... There we go. There we go. And and Jima can uh, Jima can either confirm or deny that one. <laughs> but um, they're those sliding doors moments, aren't they, in football, Ian? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah. Moving on from Lady Chai, uh and her voracious support for the Northampton Town. Uh, Jeff, have you got a football moment of the week, mate? I have. Um, this now this isn't going to be a heartwarming football moment of the week like the first two we've had. So far, this is going to be one which have the opposite effect and will and will uh, uh, chill people to the to the bones. I'm just going to read it out. So the, I'm going to read out the first two paragraphs of a news story, which is on the um, very the rather excellent website SkySports.com. Okay. Uh, posted posted yesterday. Ryan Giggs and the Football Association of Wales have mutually agreed <laughs> their manager will not be involved in the camp for their next three matches. Robert Page will take charge for this month's games against Belgium, Mexico and the Czech Republic and will be supported by Albert Sturberg, as was the case during the last international window in November. Robert Page is going, this isn't part of the story, Robert Page is going to be attempting to mastermind taking down Belgium, Mexico and the Czech Republic. <laughs> let's, just, let's, just, let's just take a pause and just contemplate the, the ridiculousness of that. It's cr- it's crazy, isn't it, to think about it? So you've got A.D. Boothroyd, who took us to the foot of basically the bottom of the bottom division, got a job, real plum job with England, now England's yeah. under 21 manager. And Robert Page, you know, he was terrible as Northampton manager and said some rather un-PC things about women, basically, and then got a job with Wales and, you know, now t- take him into games against Belgium. Is, is Belgium mm. number one ranked in the world, maybe? They're thereabouts. Kevin De Bruyne is going to be, you know, Robert Page is going to be attempting to bring down one of the the best players in the Premier League for the last, what, three, four years? (laughs) It's just just, just mind-blowing to me. How how do these things happen? (laughs) 
so there you go there's my one anyway not um won't have, won't have cheered anyone up listening to this listening to this podcast knowing that, that a man who thought a team that had just won the league with 99 points unbeaten in 24 games suddenly needed to have Kenji Gore added to it uh, uh, don't you be dissing Harry Beautyman either I mean you know, <laughs> oh, of course, sure. real quality in that league <laughs> Harry Beautyman scored some goals but in like non-league hasn't he he's you know he hasn't done great in the league but yeah, you're exactly right, Jeff, in terms of ripping oh, the whole thing. Can I say, two, two on, players that really wound me up, because it was bits of some players went off and did other things. But the players that weren't on a lot of money, that stayed, that were part of that squad before, that were just sidelined totally. Mm. Lawson Diaf and Rod McDonald. Mm. Never they given a chance. looking. And it's not mm. they are, You know, they might not be the best players in the world, well, they must have had something about them to be part of that. Yeah. And they, they were sidelined for absolute clowns that were brought in. Mm. It feeds into the talk about structure now and the continuity and all stuff like that. That was the actual prime example, wasn't it? Because um, when Wilder left, people were saying, look, he's, he's you know, he set us up. He's left for a, a bigger club, but he's put a lot of things in place. Just just con- continue it, make a couple of changes. You know, yeah. people like Ricky Holmes are going to leave, really. But, you know, try and find someone who's... We can replace him and stuff, and it just it just all got ripped up. And we're probably, I would say, still struggling slightly because of that decision to um, bring Rob Page in. But you know, Rob Page is laughing now, so fair play to him. He's up to last half <laughs> managing against uh, Mexico. And no, no one else did as much harm in terms of letting you know. There were a lot of crap managers after Wilder. Yeah, no one else did as much harm in terms of shunting out or shunting aside. Uh, decent or good players and bringing in players that weren't good enough. The mm. others were all on the back foot to some point and having to fix a problem they'd inherited. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly mm. right. So, um, you know, fair play to Rob Page. He's obviously got something about him, but we just didn't see it in Northampton and that's what matters to us. So that was a good one. Martin, have you thought of a football moment of the week now? I know you're eating your dinner, oh. Martin. It sounds like you're eating your dinner. <laughs> just finishing some, some chilli. Yeah. I have, and I I didn't even think about it before the pod. It was a piece I read earlier from um, Nutmeg magazine, published by the Guardian. Yeah. Now, when I when I say to any of you guys, Dundee United, what do you think? Uh, orange kit. The the um um I think the 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 new old firm thing in the eighties, them and uh, yeah, Aberdeen. Yeah, they, they were good for. They had that success yeah. in Europe. Like European work, didn't they? Yeah. I always think with Panini, the old st- Scottish wasn't as good, so you had to split the old stickers in half. Yeah, that's right. Even if it was Rangers or Celtic. <laughs> what I did not know until today was, do you know any Nigerian folk? Yeah, I do. Chuck in the word Dundee United to them. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt you know it's got much resonance. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> it's actually a well-known insult right <laughs> now what I've read as I was in the nutmeg by, by the Guardian um, it's and lots of lots of um, Scottish um, Nigerians were interviewed for the, this thing and it seems to date back to various things um, lots of rumours about a game against Roma that they lost in the 80s 
but probably most likely to a tour where they went there um, in the early 70s um, after the yeah, post-season tour. You can't be expecting too much out of footballers, certainly not in the 70s or 80s. But pretty much, and I'll give you a quote um, from a guy in Lagos. <laughs> Anybody who comes to Lagos and he didn't learn sense, he cannot get sense ever. Because if you are a fool, they will learn you how to get sense. If you are Dundee United, when they start to pour shit on you, you will get sense. <laughs> and it's, right. it's become a total insult. Now, Without going through the whole article, lots of things about where it may have come from. One of the things is when um, Niger the Nigerian team, I think, stayed in Dundee, and they reckon some Dundee supporters, the other team, the other side of the road, yeah. might have chucked this in. Or if you're, oh yeah, there's a big insult, Dundee United, the team across the road. Uh, but no one really knows. But it just hit a certain sort of totally random thing. In a random part of the world, which is, again, you know, we talk about Agnelli and the horrible stuff in football. But boy, oh boy, football's brilliant for that shared language. And, yeah, a bang average team from Scotland, who've only got back into the SPL, is an insult in Nigeria. Wow. Yes. Dundee United, yeah, just bring back memory of the 80s for me, Dundee United. They were sort of yeah. quite a big team there. Last, mm -hmm. last time they were good. They beat Barcelona, didn't they? Go yes. Well, yeah, there's, there's one early 80s. You had Aber Aberdeen won, was it the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup? And then I think oh, the United won the UEFA Cup or something along those lines. They got to the final of the UEFA Cup uh, and lost against Gothenburg, oh. I think. Yeah. Um, Which is way yeah. more than Celtic or Rangers could aspire exactly. to. Exactly. Because Jim McLean died Jim reasonably recently, didn't he? And yeah. Um, yeah. that was all sort of brought up again. Um, I actually remember watching that because I think the BBC oh, ITV right. showed that live, that yeah. home match. That home. I think yes. they might even have shown the Barcelona well, game as well. I think I think they were in the the Scottish Cup final and and the uh, that European yeah. final in the week. And I remember them saying this is their second fight because it was back in the day they used to obviously have the the European finals on a weeknight, didn't they? It wasn't like yep. the big weekend yep. showpiece. And I, and I remember watching that thinking, wow, Dundee United in it. Was it the Cup Winners' Cup? Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sure I've read yeah. the UEFA, UEFA Cup was two-legged, I think. Yeah, I, I think they kept that two-legged even for the final, which I think no, no, there's no competition as a two-legged final now anymore, I don't think. No, no. But I, Jim McLean, he a bit of a legend up there. Don't think he was a very nice person. Might have been, and just think about an interaction I had on Twitter last night, kind of a Scottish Jimmy Cyril, a nasty <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely like an 80s reminiscent side, isn't it? Do you remember what year that would have been when they beat Barcelona, Andy, roughly? That would have been, that was 1987. Oh, a fine year. Fine year for football. A very fine year. <laughs> Vintage Graham yeah. car. So let's move on to Saturday's match away at Doncaster Rovers. It's good to be joined again by Liam Hoden, who, as well as writing about Rovers, has been promoted to editor of the Donny Free Press. Congratulations, Liam. Let's hope your head isn't turned by Sheffield Wednesday too. 
<laughs> Thank you very much for that. No, I've I've come from Sheffield for for this one, so uh, I'm, I'm I don't intend on going back anytime soon. Oh, nice one. You're uh, it's, it's the opposite switch. You're, you're loyal to Donny, so <laughs> that's a bit of hot potato in Doncaster. Um, it just seems looking at your you know Doncaster's results, it's a bit of a transition period for Rovers with the new manager. Probably not an ideal time with the promotion push, would you say? It wasn't ideal at all. And I think particularly given the nature of this season where you've got Saturday, Tuesday, every single week, losing a manager was not what you'd have wanted. Um, Thankfully, Rovers had a ready-made replacement in-house in Andy Butler. um, And it was always kind of expected. Andy were there as, as a player, obviously, but also in preparation for if Darren ever moved on um, so that they weren't sort of caught short on that front. Yeah. Uh, and that's helped with the sort of the transition. Uh, and they got off to, to a great start with two two wins under Andy, um, building on what Darren had done before, but perhaps adding a little bit more of a higher tempo to the play and, and a bit more aggression to it. So it, it worked well on that front. Obviously, they got beat at crew in midweek, uh, but there were a lot of circumstances around that as well. And it's yeah. obviously a very difficult place to go at the minute where they're doing so well uh, at home. Um, yeah. But so far, so good under under Andy Butler. And hopefully, they can they can keep on track uh, with, with the promotion push. Seems fairly similar to Northampton in that we sacked Keith Carl and then... John Brady was brought into well, the end of the season, similarly to Doncaster, came through the youth ranks. He was a youth youth coach and knows the setup at the football club. And it just seems now that maybe football club owners aren't so trigger happy to bring in a new manager straight away, that maybe they can just bide their time, bring, you know, see how someone from within the setup can do and just try and keep the the damage to a minimum, would you say? I think it. I think it's right, and I think particularly for clubs in the lower leagues, it makes an awful lot of sense. Um, yeah. The thing with Andy were he, he obviously had been a player at the club. Um, he, he did leave. He did have a year away, but during that time, he took charge of the the Doncaster Bells, the women's team, who are within the the club Doncaster sporting model. Uh, yeah. And they've been impressed with him on that front, and they were very keen as he got brought back as a player uh, last uh, in August uh, that. There was an eye on this that that it could potentially step up. They'd been, as I said, they'd been impressed with what he'd done, and they thought that could transition to the first team. He had a two-week period in charge when um, Darren Moore had to uh, self-isolate uh, due to contact with the uh, with COVID nineteen, uh, and he did well in that period. Albeit Darren were having a lot of input during that time, and there were a lot of confidence that he could he could step up and do it. And I think that there's there's no harm in having people that you know. Uh, I've got the confidence of the the people above at the club and also the confidence of the group as well Andy Butler in particular very very well respected uh, an authoritative voice in the the dressing room and it made an awful lot of sense for him to take that on, they've got that confidence that he can do it till the end of the season, as I say you don't really want to be trying to bring in the manager at this point and and in terms of the long term it's it's his job to to lose from here It seems like a few clubs are concentrating on the structure a little bit more rather than just the hire and fire room thing and looking for to have a replacement lined up if a manager moves on or head coach or whatever. You mentioned Club Doncaster. Can you just explain to our listeners just basically how that works and what t- clubs are involved in it? It started out, it was Rovers took over the, the Dons, Doncaster Rugby League Club. Um, yeah. 
who play in the third tier of uh, the rugby league structure. That's how it started. And then from there, they were expanding into a lot of community things. There's a there's a sports college on the site. There's a lot of sort of community community teams rather than playing at a sort of proper competitive level. And yeah. then the, uh, a couple of years ago, the Bells got into quite severe financial difficulties and, and Rovers took, well, Club Doncaster took that on too. So the, you've got, the, the, there's your three main things are the the Rovers, Dons, and the Bells, uh, but there's a lot, there's an awful lot of community work going on under that, and yeah, it makes a lot of sense for them because a, a lot of the 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 logistical stuff, the the you know the behind the scenes stuff, you've got one team working on that rather than each club having their own different departments all yep. all doing the same thing but separate, yep. uh, and and it and it feeds it does feed an awful lot into rovers uh, financially rather than being a burden on the club there's there's a designer using that money wisely uh, across the clubs but rovers seem to benefit from it more than others sounds pretty smart and it's something that we've talked about in dispatches in northampton because we've obviously got three decent class sporting sides in the northampton saints the northampton cricket first class county cricket side and, and northampton town football club so is something that we've sort of talked about. Obviously, Doncaster is slightly further down the road, but it just seems to make sense in terms of various factors, the sporting participation, the the benefit for supporters, because I guess you can just go and watch all three, can't you? If you're not mm. playing on the same day, you can just pop over to watch Donny Bells or you can go to the rugby league. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of the season ticket packages have, have got built in. There's different levels of it, uh, but for example, all junior uh, season tickets have free free entry into a mall. Uh, well, free entry, obviously you pay for your ticket, but you get into a mall and there's some yep. packages with the uh, with the adult tickets that that will get you into the do- get you a Don season ticket as well. Um, so it's great from sense. that one, and, and they, they can promote each other um, yep. as they go along. Yeah, it makes loads of sense, and um, I might have a little look into that actually and read a little bit more about that. So thanks for explaining that. Um, back to Rovers is form. It was looking pretty useful after Andy Butler took over and it, it could have dropped off a cliff, couldn't it? Because when you lose a big character like Darren Moore, that's always the, the danger. But um, Rovers beat Plymouth and Portsmouth 2-1. There were two solid results. And then the last game, like we said before, a close 1-0 loss at Crewe. They're a very good football inside on their day. And it just seemed that you actually, uh, Doncaster actually probably bossed the ball a little bit better, but just couldn't hit the net. Yeah, the, what happened was they arrived at Crew without uh, a recognised striker. Uh, right. Fadriok and Abiri were injured and missed the Plymouth game. There was an expectation that he might be back, but he didn't quite make it. And yeah. then they lost Omar Bogle to a hamstring injury. So, and and it's a big deal for Rovers. They play four two three one, and the the one is is a real focal point, particularly since Omar Bogle has come in in January, holds the ball up really well, brings others into play, and they were just lacking that presence in in the final third, and it was always going to be difficult. You've got Maja Gomez stepping up and, and playing in that role, uh, but he is he, a midfield player, uh, a, a midfield player that when he is attacking, will arrive from deep. Um, so it was completely alien to him. Uh, so it was always going to be difficult, particularly when they fell behind, um, and, and particularly given how well the crew have been doing at home uh, as well. It were, It's just one of them nights. You hope that it's not one that represents turning point, and, and hopefully it's just an isolated thing. But yeah, it were, it were a difficult night all round, um, 
uh, and hopefully one that they can they can put out of the way. They picked up a couple of injuries during the game as well to uh, to key players, John Bostock and 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 Reece James. So as I say, bad night all round, and and hopefully they can quickly put it put it behind them. Yeah, but that's going to happen in this season. This season's been sort of so stop start, and so because of that. Uh, quite intensive hasn't it so Saturday Tuesday you're going to pick up injuries it's not going to be a free flow to the top of the league for any side so it's just one of those things we were speaking last week to Portsmouth fans and they were absolutely basically distraught about their form and they're mm. I think they're only about seven four eight now I don't know they, they lost again but it's just um, I think you just the teams have got to keep their nerve and especially clubs like Doncaster just one loss it doesn't mean anything you know you could hopefully it'll be two losses against Northampton but <laughs> it's perfectly capable possible for them to you know Doncaster to kick on again especially with some of the personnel uh, I guess we'll go on to that actually um in the original game uh back at six fields it was 2-0 to Doncaster it was a fair result I reckon Doncaster deserved the win uh goals by Tyrese John Jules and Joe Wright if I remember rightly mm-hmm. what would you say is similar about Donny from that game and what has changed um, particularly with regard to players available um a lot of the approach will be similar. Um, I think they'll look to to dominate the ball. The yeah. uh, as I say, I think under Andy Butler, there's been a bit more of a an at- aggression to the attacking play. There's a desire to get up the pitch quicker. Uh, still keep still looking after the ball, but there were there were elements under Darren Moore where the the main priority was looking after the ball, rather than, uh, always with an intent to to attack, but. Yeah. There would there be long periods of what you'd probably call sterile possession, where there, there seems to be a bit more energy about it under under Andy Butler. Um, in terms of personnel, one of the goal scorers will be different. It'll be uh, uh, Tyrese John Jules, who was on loan from Arsenal. He's been injured since uh, just after Christmas, um, and he's, he suffered a hamstring injury. He's still out. They're hopeful that they will see him again before the end of the season, but uh, waiting for a bit more news on that one. Um, a big one was Ben Whiteman in midfield. Um, he moved to Preston in January. Um, he was arguably the best midfielder in League One uh, for yeah. over the last 18 months or so, and everybody expected that he would leave at some point. Um, they've done well, actually, because he was such a pivotal part of the team and, and so much went through him that they don't seem to have really lost a step with that. The arrival of, of John Bostock has, um, has been been big for that because because a, a phenomenal uh, quality he's got on the ball uh, in terms of his his distribution um, that 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 Whiteman had too. So they, they they won't look despite the change of manager they'll not look an awful lot different. They'll be similar lineup that four two three one um, and the, the the style isn't isn't too different either. Uh, just a couple of personnel changes here and there. I guess that's good from a Doncaster perspective to keep the continuity because there was if it's if it ain't broke don't fix it so you know the the preceding game back at six or suggests that there's a lot going right for Doncaster. Um, is Okanabiri back now? Uh, hopefully, I, uh, I must admit at this point I've not had the full injury update. Uh, that'll come. Uh, later, but uh, the, the, it wasn't too severe an injury. He just had some swelling on his ankle. Uh, there was there was a chance that he could have played in midweek, but they didn't want to take a risk with it. So, of the of the two strikers that have been missing, I would imagine that Okunabiri would be the most likely to to feature. Okay, so if he doesn't feature, for instance, do you think that there might be an issue with trying to hit the net again from Tuesday night to Saturday? 
There could well be because it, it they looked so far off it in terms of that that final third threat. I'm trying to think of different ways they could approach it, uh, but again, you'd be asking a, a midfielder or a winger to step into that position, and they obviously offer something's completely different. Um, yeah. So fingers crossed they will have a striker available. There's no one really to step up from from the youth team either. They got uh, they got rid of the under 23s for financial reasons that the last summer. Um, so there's no real nobody ready to kind of make that step up at this stage. Um, so yeah, it'll be in, it'll be really interesting to see how Andy Butler approaches it if if he does have no strikers again because um, it it really didn't work at Crew. Um, but there, as I say, there's no obvious choices for that position at, at this point in time. So as I say, fingers crossed there will be mm. players back. Okay, that's interesting. That might give us a little bit of um, impetus. Goal scoring was a problem for Northampton, especially under Keith Cole towards the end. But John Brady's come in and just let the team play with a little bit of freedom. We've actually probably got the opposite. Not a problem, but we've got a lot of strikers. We just can't really find the right fit to, you know, say who our first choices are. Really, we've got Ryan Edmondson on loan from Leeds United, your neck of the woods. Very industrious. More of a target man, I would say. Not a prolific scorer. He scored. He got a dubious goal given to him the other day. Um, sort of nicked it in the last minute. A little goal-hanging goal. But that might do him a little bit of good. We've also got people like Danny Rose. We've got a new guy on short-term contract, uh, Alex Jones. I think he used to play for Bradford. Uh, we've got Chukwamika, the commentator's curse. And no one ever can <laughs> pronounce it. And we've got Ashley Seal. So we've got a lot of strikers. It's just trying to find the right combination. Um, but maybe that will give... John Brady a little bit of impetus to maybe start with two up front and say, look, they've got no strikers. Let's just 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 go for it and try and um, grab a couple of goals. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out. We talked a bit about Andy Butler. Darren Moore left. And as an outsider and probably an insider, it looked a bit of a strange move because when you look at Sheffield Wednesday and some of their off-the-pitch stuff and their league position, to leave, although a bigger club in inverted commas or in terms of their history and trophies they've won to leave for a club that you, that Doncaster might actually leapfrog. Was that considered a strange decision in your way? Uh, yes. I think it's fair to say. Um, the thing is, I think there was always the expectation that, that Darren would eventually move on uh, yeah. given the profile that he's got. It always felt like a bit of a, a coup that Rovers got him anyway in the first place. And he, he was a former player at the club. So, I think that helped uh, along with So there was always the expectation that probably uh, he would get poached at some point. Always nervousness when there were a managerial vacancy in the championship. Uh, but the, it came as a big shock because of who we went to. And as you say, Wednesday are not in a good place on and off the pitch. Um, and I think the he, he will certainly have been aware of that over the first two games that... that uh, that Wednesday have played since he's gone there. Yeah. Uh, there's no quick fix of this. Um, it seems like a. It's getting to the case of being a, a lost cause in terms of trying to keep him up. Um, so what assurances he's had about long term things, I'm not sure. They've been very. But looking for somebody to, to reset and rebuild and and bring a put his put really put his stamp on it. Uh, if if that's going to be the case in the summer, it seems ideal for that. And and what a story it'd be if he was the man to put Wednesday back on track. Mm. Uh, but right now, it just looks like a, a basket case of a club. And um, he's, he's a brave man. He's a brave man because he's left 
what if Rovers finish top six this season under him, regardless of whether they win promotion or not, that's a positive. Uh, that we're good enough to get Grant McCann the whole job, uh, and with Darren's profile, it would have been good enough to get him. He could have walked into the vast majority of Championship clubs, I'm sure, and I'm sure there would yeah. have been some looking at him. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's very likely going to have a, a relegation on his CV. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether he does get that opportunity to 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 be the man to bring him back. Um, mm. So yeah, it's it's an odd one, and it left a lot. I think it left a lot of people angry, which is inevitable whenever a manager leaves mid-season to go to another club. But I think the the identity of the club, the situation at Wednesday, it meant it made it an, an awful lot more surprising and riled people up uh, an awful lot more. Mm, I can imagine so. This is a Doncaster Rovers chat anyway. That's not too much <laughs> talk too much about Wednesday. Um, uh, before we sort of sign off, we'll do a little match prediction and stuff as normal. Before the game, or be sorry, before I spoke to you, I was thinking, God, you know, we are we're definitely going to be the outsiders in terms of the bookies and especially in league position. But I just think this chat we've had in terms of the striking potency and injuries and stuff has made me reconsider slightly. I'll let you go first with a prediction because I'm so kind like that. What? How do you reckon it's going to pan out? I do. If this is it, it's really, really difficult with this one because if they're in the same situation that they're in the other night, I would be quite concerned. Um, but I think I'm going to have to go with a Rovers win uh, and yeah. perhaps say a two-one win. It's a very sort of it's a scoreline that Rovers have seen a lot of this season. Yeah. Um, but with the caveat on that of if they are without a striker, I will be very concerned about them getting. Well, not say a positive result, but getting a win from this one, um, it will be so, so difficult. Mm, it's an interesting one because I would imagine that Butler would probably have wanted to play Keith Carl's cobblers a little bit more because there were issues with Keith Carl's setup and the direct way, way we played. We were often liable on the counter and stuff like that. But now with John Brady, we seem to be a bit more fluid. We put four past Pompey. Uh, so we can score and we're just playing a little bit better. We lost against Charlton on Tuesday night, didn't really threaten too much, didn't the, the work rate wasn't massive. So, is that does that mean they're sort of saving themselves for this Saturday and think that there might be a result there? I don't know if it works like that, but um, for, for a prediction, 2 1 sounds a really sensible choice. It's just which way, like it could, it could be Northampton's way, it could be Donny's, especially with your goal scoring. 1 1 sounds pretty sort of useful as well in terms of mm. your potential scoreline. But I think I'm going to... I might agree with you, actually, through gritted teeth. I reckon I'm going to go 2-1 Donny, hoping that our, you know, striking roster stands up to the job and we can score a couple of goals. But, you know, it's going to be an interesting game and we're fighting for life in terms of relegation. You're, um, am I right? You're um, only a few points off of Peterborough with a couple of games in hand. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the fifth in the league with uh, they've got games in hand, at least two over all the teams um, above them. Um, they've got four games in hand on Hull at the top, or tra- trailing them by uh, 13 points. Uh, not 13, yeah. 10, 10 points. Sorry. So, yeah, these games in hand are, are potentially valuable, but uh, so they're... they're um, the seven points off uh, Peterborough in second, uh, with with a couple of games in hand over them. Um, so I think at the minute it's just about kind of 
keep pace with the teams that are, that are around them and, and see what yeah. they can do when they I think they've got one of the games in hand is coming up on Tuesday away at Oxford which is obviously a tough tough one um, but yeah just all about trying to keep pace at the minute and, and they've got a, a bit of a healthy gap to uh, to seventh four points uh, and they've got yeah. games in hand over the teams around that place in as well so yeah, yeah well just uh, hopefully they can they can keep that keep them at arm's length and, and try and claw a few points back on those above them <laughs> yeah peterborough are really unpopular around these parts so <laughs> you know if if we lost and you sort of superseded there that would, would be too bad but at the same time we want the win so i reckon if northampton win uh this game and then you go on to pip peterborough knock them out so they don't get promoted that'll be a good result i think but um thanks for taking the time to talk to me as usual and um enjoy the game on saturday and we'll speak again soon mate thank you very much appreciate that excuse me Let's move on to. It's getting a bit sad. I said last week we're getting on. We're on to W in the Cobblers A to Z now. So we we're going to be on numbers soon. And then God knows what else. Um, but we're on the letter W, and it is finally Wayne Williams week. W W. <laughs> um, have any of you guys got a W? I think uh, Jeff, you've got a one about a uh, tale of um, Andy Woodman, haven't you? Well, we had hundreds of replies, didn't we, on the Twitter. Yeah, uh, lots, lots of W's over the years and some really good ones, which I'm sure we'll get to. But um, Andy Woodman is one of the very few, maybe the only former Cobblers player to have written an autobiography. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, we don't mention that, though, of course, do we? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have in front of me a copy of Woody's autobiography, which is uh, quite uh, distinctive because it's a joint autobiography with his great friend, uh, Gareth Southgate and it's kind of like how they they were mates as kids but their careers went in completely different directions um, and if, if I may I'd like to read a short passage from from uh, Woody and Nord a football friendship for, for the listeners because this is this is um, sort of one of the very first hugely controversial Northampton town exits and dramas and moments but also it will be clear why I wanted to read this out on the podcast. Um, so this is, it, it's sort of coming to the end of Woody's time at, at the Cobblers. He's um, he's not in the team, Billy Turley's playing. Uh, and so we go into it here. Because I was such a favorite with the fans, the problem got out of hand. When we played Arsenal's reserves at Northampton, four and a half thousand people turned up to watch. Now, a, a caveat there, they weren't turned up to watch Woody, were they? I think didn't didn't Tony Adams play for Arsenal and stuff like that and, uh, in that game. So. Uh, you know, come on, Woody. <laughs> You're a great guy. <laughs> but that isn't why. Uh, that's not actually a footnote in the book, but perhaps should be. Um, for a reserves game, that was unheard of. Yes, because Tony Adams was trying. Um, as I sat in the dugout for the first team's home games, the crowd would chant my name, but the manager became more determined than ever that he would not be bullied. Ian Atkins never likely to be bullied, of course, is he? Then the rumour started. First on the internet... Then in a fanzine, before it ended up in the local paper, the fanzine would, of course, would have been Wallet, couldn't it? Yeah. Would have been yeah. the original edition of What a Load of Cobblers. This is why I wanted to read it. Woody had slept with the wife of one of the directors, and that's why he wasn't in the team. It was totally untrue, and I would have dismissed it as ridiculous, except so many people had heard it and wondered if it was true. There was a kind of, well, it would explain why he's not in the team feeling around the town. You'll never, get, you'll never believe what is going on here, I said to Anna, that's his wife. There's a rumour I slept with the wife of one of the directors and that's why I'm not in the team. 
Well, you haven't, have you? said Anna. Don't be ridiculous. But it wouldn't go away. Anna and I would be out to dinner with friends and it would invariably crop up. What bothered me was the need to convince friends it was untrue. Even then, after explaining how the rumour originated, there was always the same question in my mind. Do they believe me? So it goes into a bit more detail um, about how, you know, it definitely wasn't true. Uh, and then um, <laughs> he talks towards the end of that chapter, he talks about, um, where is it? When he played for, uh, he played against Northampton for Colchester and the fans sang, was she worth it? Was she worth it? Was she worth it in the end? I nodded no and they went crazy. <laughs> my fear was please god she can't make out what they're singing when i went into the bar afterwards people welcomed me back and when anna couldn't hear them they asked come on woody did you really sleep with her it was nine tenths joke one tenth serious and even now as people read this account of my last season with the cobblers some will say no smoke without fire for the last time there was smoke but there was no fire hey. <laughs> or was there beautiful there's so many questions with that jeff like, <laughs> where do you start like, what um, friends would you have that you go out for dinner with them with your <laughs> wife and they just go well have you knocked off the director's wife then like where would that ever happen like what friends are these yeah did you did you oh and you did didn't you oh at the starters are here we'll get back to that in a minute they must have been going to different clubs than all the ones we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if his nickname of Woody meant something else now, thinking about it. It's just just, just disturbing. Hey. <laughs> but but you know, it was does it matter if it, you know, happened, didn't happen? Is you know, I think I think Ian's on the hitting the nail on the head there with he didn't he just lost his place in the team and mm. uh, Billy Turley. Wasn't he called Spilly Turley at one point? Jeff, you remember that? Billy. Billy Turdley, I think some people called him. Um, we played a game at, um, I think it was at Stoke we played once, and then we'd gone there, and Roy, Hunt, Roy Hunter and David Savage were playing central midfield, I think, and first half, we absolutely bossed it. Those two were just brilliant. Like, they're two of my favourite players of all time anyway. And um, But it was like nil-nil at half-time, and then Turley just like let a couple in through his legs or something, and we lost. And it was like, oh great, cheers, 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 Spilly. And he got, he got used to get, <laughs> he used to get ferocious stick. And then yeah. obviously Diamonds bought him, didn't they? For what at the time was loads of money. It was like 150 grand, 130 yeah. grand or something. Yeah. And everyone was like, brilliant, nice one. <laughs> Not only have we got rid of him, we've got loads of cash for him. Uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't have a great rep. But also, he probably suffered a bit because he was following Woodman. Who was so so adored by the fans? Mm. Do you reckon Diamonds at that point were just like, it's a cobbler's player, we'll, we'll buy him for whatever money, don't worry yeah. about it, we'll just take him off him, just to be sort of spiteful. There was a bit of that going on. <laughs> I think he did really well for them. Yeah, he just could never pronounce Altrincham. Because <laughs> again, oh, whenever, this rings a bell. Whenever. Billy Turley's name comes up even now and you know you're scrolling through Twitter and somebody will mention him it's just always that that interview that um we did with him and the Diamonds were playing Altrincham the following Saturday and he just kept saying Alcatrum yeah you should laugh really but um well yeah you should 
Yeah, it's funny. So you should. <laughs> Alcatrum yeah. sounds like um, an enemy of the Transformers from the night from the eighties. <laughs> but he just kept saying it as well. Didn't sort of mention it once. You know. Yeah, you can't really correct it's someone, can you? Alcatraz. Yeah, it's a long way to Alcatraz. Man. <laughs> just kept saying it. Maybe you meant Alcatraz. Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get past Gareth that he just he just stopped it immediately. <laughs> straight start the interview again. That's not how you say it, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, Andy Woodman, a club legend, and what he did or what he didn't do, what he didn't do, he said he didn't. <laughs> we'll go with that. Don't really matter, really. He did brilliant for the club band. Yeah, he left how he left. So that was a good one from. Jeff, has anyone else got a letter W on the go? Or we can just go to the readers' ones, if not. Um, I'm sure it's there for the readers, and it's the obvious one. Um, Wayne Williams. Bang average average fullback that improved the side in about uh, 88, maybe. I think we signed him. And sadly, um, as learned in the the chat yesterday, passed away last year. But he was just... Old school right back, um, a bit a bit like a man on the, on the bench these days who played who played left back left back yesterday. Suddenly reaching for his name, Michael um, Harriman. Michael Harriman, yeah, an old school fullback. Well, you know, gets a bit of a nosebleed past past the halfway <laughs> line, but dead solid. Uh, you know, winning winning tackles, winning headers, giving the ball to a better player. And, and Williams was like that, and. and he improved us, improved us a bit, and I think it might be after Graham Reed got a, a nasty injury, might have come in. Um, he scored one goal, and he just got one goal from the cob for the cobblers. Make it against Wolves, who dropped out. Well, hadn't dropped out; they actually been down lower, but they were back on the way up with Steve Ball, and he's got beyond the halfway line up towards the spine cop end and he's just hoofed one into the box you know not 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 whipped it just chucked it in there keeper has totally misjudged it it's dropped in in the back of the net and i think that's put us one nil up dean <laughs> thomas worldy puts us two nil up we end up winning three one but wow. it was just like every dog has a an average one never scored another goal end up getting released and probably dropping out to non-league but it was like, yeah, there was a guy who came in who was half decent and had a moment. Mm. And I kind of like that. Yeah, that's really nice. And to score against anyone to score against Wolves in their career is pretty decent. I looked at uh, Steve yeah. Ball, seven appearances against the Cobblers, zero goals. Mm. Nice. Love that. Nice. <laughs> I looked at Wayne Williams online, just reading about him, and yeah, he um, passed away, like you said age 56 um sort of a bit of a you know bit of a sad end into the story but um he if you look at this his time at Shrewsbury he was sort of very well respected at Shrewsbury particularly score made 269 appearances for Shrewsbury um between November 1981 and he made his debut in the League Cup age of 17 and January 1989 so he made 269 appearances in that time I think that's when he left for Northampton does that ring true Martin about 1989 time yeah, yeah, it was um yeah late eighties um yeah pro- I suppose a bit like the reverse. It, it's almost like if, I mean Buchanan's probably our longest serving fullback in all the time we've watched and um yeah it'd be like Buchanan, I mean dead good, dead good, dead solid somewhere. Went and played a couple of seasons elsewhere. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously a, a decent player, had a, a good career. And, um, yeah. It's, um, and sadly, couldn't find that goal on YouTube anywhere. Yeah, we'll try and hunt it out. I think there are some people that do the cobbler's goals on Twitter. I'll see if I can find it. But yeah, so that was um, that was a good one. Um, I'll go to some of the readers' ones now, actually. Phil Garlic tweeted us, a bit of a score one, but I think he was a good player. And Jeff, I think, knows who this guy is. Tony Witter, Jeff? Oh, yeah. It's centre-back, wasn't he? Sort of towards the end of the Atkins, Atkins era. Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, that was a goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you know him, Ian? Yeah, I remember him coming on against Fulham um, when we used to play them every week, when they were on their trajectory. He might, he might have even been... He was right, right at the end of um, Atkins' era, like, just before he got sacked. And I remember him sort of saying, like, why hadn't everyone else tried as hard as him and what a good performance he'd, he'd, um, he'd, he'd put on against Fulham. But he, uh, yeah... And, not not long after that. It was when Atkins had that massive injury. Uh then Paul Dennis was working his socks off in the uh <laughs> in the physio's room. But yeah, and I think Witter was one of them. I think he came in either on loan or or on a free or something. And I think, yeah, he, got I think he was not early as well. Contract, I think. Hmm. I think we end up with one game. We'd have, we'd signed him and Tony Dobson, the ex Cov player. Both on similar, probably short-term things. We had no centre halves left, and they both, but they both looked at the time. Whoever they'd replaced, they didn't look any worse than, and that was probably not the best reflection on on Atkins. And again, that comment about everyone did as much as this guy I've just found isn't doing as much as the guys I recruited. It's like, oh, maybe on you, boss. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think he played for Millwall before us, looking at him. So, yeah, not a bad player as far as I remember. But that was a good one from Phil Garlic, one of the more obscure cobblers. Um, on Exmoor tweeted us, and this will bring back memories for Andy, actually. Uh, Wigan, uh, May 4th, 1996. Wigan v Northampton. Wigan had to win to make the playoffs. Cobblers won 2-1 at Springfield Park. Roberto Martinez was playing for Wigan that day. Andy, was that the game where you got chased through the town or was that a different game? That was that game, yeah, because um, obviously Wigan's season turned to dust in the space <laughs> of that one afternoon. Because I think that they only needed to draw to get in the playoffs, right. and it was one all. It was one all going into stoppage time. And by the way, um, the small world, um, uh, probably about three, because I've obviously posted that photo. Probably about three yards to the left is um, Princess Diana. Is, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a similarly young-looking Jefferson Lake, also mm. wearing that that wonderful um, lotto kit. Yeah. Um, wow. Which, by the way, yeah. is going. There's one on. There's a couple on eBay at the moment. 150 quid they go for now. Really? Although you but you bought one recently, Tom, didn't you? Actually. Yeah, I've got one, but I'm not sure it's 150 quid worth. I'm just disappointed that Princess Diana wasn't standing next to you, so that sort of let me down a little bit. <laughs> really glamorous. I had a very small haircut as well, like the, the you know the the mid 90s curtains. I had that going on. Yeah. <laughs> It'll do. It's close enough. You haven't got people's princess on the back of it, have you? <laughs> Cobbler's royalty, Jefferson Lake. That um, was. I've mentioned it. And, and you might have even gone in there. Did you go in the supporters club before the game, Andy? Because they had 
they had this brilliant supporters club at Springfield Park, and there were pen like um, you know pennants from other clubs all around the top, and we just we all sort of spent like an hour walking around looking at all these pennants, and there was like from you know Santos and clubs like that. It was incredible. Um, <laughs> My other abiding memory of that, and this is something I might have misremembered for all, all these years, I'm pretty sure Jason White and Neil Grayson were playing up front and they're wearing numbers two and three. Does anyone else remember that? Or is that, Oof. did I dream that in 1995? Great with shout, actually. Is that, I, mean, I is don't recall. Is it be pre-scored numbers, wouldn't it? Or yeah, would it? yes. It still one to 11. Wow. wow. I reckon that someone on this on this uh, podcast might yes. have a rock that There'll we have listener than any of us. <laughs> but you're right, Jeff, about the um, social club because our next more actually tweeted that brilliant social club where all fans mm. were welcome. And um, I'm just looking at the picture of Springfield Park. I never actually went there, but God, what a what a just an, a proper old school ground like mm, all terror. open terraces. It looked like Jeff. Does that ring a bell? Say again, sorry. All open terraces at Springfield Park. Well, in my mind, it was it was curved behind the goals, yeah. like Edge mm. Street at Hereford is as well. Mm. Um, so you're quite far away. Um, but yeah, brilliant. I look, uh, anytime there's an open terrace, it's great, isn't it? So, but it, it was like because it was it was kind of grass and and mud. Um, and I, I, I follow. There's a wonderful follow on Twitter, the Skircoat Shed Archive. Um, yeah. Halifax yeah. fans. Um, I don't recall ever playing at Springfield Park in anything other than August or March, April. And I reckon at a way end, I think of better than most fans would. Mm. So if you went there in November or December, <laughs> it would have been horrific. Jeff, I think Christian Christian Lee wore two that day. Christian Lee, not uh, Jason Moore. So was Grayson was that before or after he went for a million pounds? Yeah, he's <laughs> worth two million. That's what he was trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to play anyway, you see, right back up front. Yeah. Um, Jason White came off the bench that day. Oh yeah, there you go. Oh, oh, just oh, what oh, you were saying. White, white, white. As yeah, I yeah. Because he scored, Andy. The um. Uh, well, Jason White scored the um. Scored the winner, and um, Samo got the. Um, they went one up, I'm sure, and then, you know, I mean, think if you're on the other end of the um, other side of it, that is absolutely devastating. You actually mm-hmm. only need a point on the last day of the season, yeah. and, and what we, you were saying about, um, and because we played there again first day of the next season as well. Oh, I, I didn't go to the last game. I did go to the first game. I remember that now very well. So last game of 95-96, first game of 96-97. Both the way it's been I remember um, Pat Gavin leaving. I think he joined, joined Wigan after he left us and coming back with Wigan. And there was about 10 people on the hotel end going, there's only one Pat Gavin. It wasn't a very glamorous game, but I remember. Yeah, I remember that. Sort and of also... A fun fun fact: They beat us two nil that day. And I'm pr- again, this might be me misremembering it, like with the squad number, the shirt numbers. I think they beat us two nil, and Pat Gavin scored, and I think Keith Gillespie scored the other goal. Yes, yeah, I know play. Keith Gillespie came back. He was at the, the county ground and sort of was a really good, just a live. One, one yeah, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure he scored the other goal in that game. Mm. 
So, yeah, if you look at Wigan yeah. Athletic Stadium now, complete change from that Springfield Park. But those sort of grounds are sort of disappearing now. So it's nice to for you guys to be able to reminisce going there. Um, just go through a couple of uh, some of the other readers' ones. Uh, Deborah Marshall can only be what a load of cobblers. Fair yeah. play to Deborah. She Wait. is uh, well qualified to say that. We won't comment on that one. <laughs> uh, we've also got Keith Buckby with Michael Warner. He was a winger. I think we've mentioned him before, maybe on the M's, but um, just a, he's one of those sort of squad players in the Atkins days, wasn't he? And he was just, uh, it was a good sort of chalk on your boots winger, as far as I remember, good sort of um, winger that you don't really see anymore. Anyone remember Michael Warner? He was, uh, he was kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, typical of the Ian Atkins not playing any young players to the point where he, developed this almost legendary status among the fans that he was he was like this this world-class player that was never given a break by Ian Atkins mm. when the truth of the matter was he what he wasn't world-class obviously but it was um yeah symptomatic is what I was looking for of Ian Atkins always playing the older players yeah but I, I remember he was pretty useful but yeah yeah, but... yeah it was good. I think as well as that he was probably he was probably a bit a bit of a flair player and a bit a bit of a technician and obviously Ian Atkins is a not a fan of the fucking tippy tappy stuff so <laughs> that was getting on a bit towards Jimmy Greaves there Jeff we need to <laughs> yeah <laughs> a quick while I was ahead the uh Jimmy Greaves impression is absolutely brilliant um just listen to the previous one if you want to listen to uh Jeff's uh, Jimmy Greaves impression but yeah so um that was a good one from Keith Buckby just read a couple of the last ones out now. Um, Ashley Hardy always says ever so well with this. Uh, he's done with Dean Stadium at Brighton. It's another one oh. I never actually went to. Has anyone been? Well, Jeff probably went down there reporting, but anyone been yeah. down to the with Dean? It's oh. just Athletic Stadium in Brighton, isn't it? Or was? Yeah. Awful. <laughs> awful. Awful place. It was. Um, it was an, It's an athletic stadium, so press-wise, it's, it's okay because you've just got the running track between the press box which was just like two rows and then the pitch. Yeah. But um, the away end is about half a mile behind one of the goals. And then the um, the porter cabins where the players get changed or the changing area is about another half a mile behind that. And, you, and they were getting changed next to people like getting changed to go and have a game of squash and stuff. And um, <laughs> Mayo told me a really funny story. Him and Adam Virgo both got sent off there one night. I think it was the year when they got relegated and Bayo ended up getting a four-game suspension because they they appealed against it and it was deemed frivolous and he got an extra game. So anyway, him and Virgo got sent off of, off the ball tussle and um, apparently he's, it was something like Bayo kind of like cha- followed him or chased him back to these porter cabins and was like, it, there was... Um, there was just those two there in the porter cabin. So Bayer was like, I was ready to like rip him apart sort of thing. And um, Adam Virgo was like run, running backwards, but like facing him, you know, like running and like desperately trying like opening doors and stuff, trying to get in the changing rooms. And, <laughs> and, then, um, and then all of a sudden all the, like the subs or coaching staff, or whatever, then came, came piling in and got between the two players. And that and Bayo said, and oh, you know, you could believe this. At that point, Virgo started all the, yeah, come on then, I'll fucking do ya. Yeah, come on then, let's let, let's have it. When when everyone was all there. But when it was just the two of them, he was like desperately trying to escape into any any room. Um 
yeah, that would have that would have gone in his book if if I'd written it, and it, it might have done. I've never I've never read it, so. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they ended up having to play a game of squash together. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, unlike the football matches, there at least you'd been able to see it because you'd have been quite close to it. So, um, yeah, that's that's an awful ground, the with Dean. I felt so bad for anyone that was in the away end for games there because you just wouldn't have been able to see anything. Mm. Is, did anyone go to the Goldstone ground, the, the proper Brighton ground before that? Did you ever go there, Martin? Yeah, yeah, I went there for a League Cup game in about 89-90 maybe. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Wilkin got a couple there. It was a proper ground though, wasn't it, the Goldstone ground? It, it was ground? a proper ground, but it was a League Cup game on a Tuesday night. It wasn't very it, it seemed it seemed a world away from my fir- the first um copies of shoot and match I remember in the run up to the <laughs> FA Cup Martin, final when Brighton played that, Man U. Would that have been the same tie, but in the home leg where Tony Miola played yes. um, played in yes. goal for Brighton? And well, we're all singing just you weeks are, after Italian night. There was an American in the stadium. Yeah. You were singing what, Martin? There was an American in the sta- American in goal for Brighton. We're all shouting "Yeehaw!" Yeah, <laughs> so exotic. <laughs> the wit, the wit of the hotel end, day. Eh? Oh. Do you ever remember that this is a really obscure, terribly, terribly niche memory of going to the Cobblers at the county ground? And if you remember this, fair play. They did an announcement that two American students were in the family enclosure. And uh, these American students like stood up and like waved to everyone. It was terribly cringy. Did they ever remember that? Oh, it's, oh, it's making me cringe now. a coded message. <laughs> do, you know, I, do you know, Tom, wasn't one of them called Chip? <laughs> and like, it's his first ever football match, and everyone was like, "Shit!" It's, like, it's not the most stereotypical American. It's like it's sing out a national lampoons or something. <laughs> that's, that's just triggered something in my memory, you know. I was thinking of Chase's mate Chad there. <laughs> I remember it because it was like, and do you know, it was probably what's he called? Who's the guy again? Pete Smith. He was like, "Oh yeah," and in the enclosure, yeah. yeah. we've got two oh, Americans. That definitely, that is a. Oh, well done, Tom. That's a good yeah. old memory. That is. I mean, I remember that happening, you know. <laughs> well, someone from another country is actually bothered to come and watch the cobbler. <laughs> I remember. I remember more recently they had like the Queen of the South youth team there, and I think they were on some like training tour. They were playing like all the local sides, and they'd given them free tickets. And I will tell you what, they looked. They didn't look happy to be watching. I think it was a really terrible game as well. I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to learn a lot. They help your development watching these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that should be your exams, lads. <laughs> that should be a thing now. Whenever there's someone from a foreign country or an overseas country, we have to do a shout out to them. Have we got three people in from uh, Venezuela? Give us a wave. <laughs> it's like, oh man. But yeah, uh, brings up memories. The good old days of the county ground when we had two Americans in. If, if you're listening, uh, you two, are Chad and Chip, whatever you were called, just. Uh, <laughs> Drop us a tweet and we can uh, go over that one. It was probably really Harry and William in disguise with their mum and they were like masquerading as Americans wearing like sunglasses and baseball caps. This, this is all making sense now. Of course, Dana would be deep within the hotel end at that point. <laughs> Smoking a fag. <laughs> yeah, so um, we're going to wrap up now. I'm going to get on to the makers of the hit TV show The Crown because they've got a whole new uh sort of script that they've missed out on the princess Diana, the northampton town years so uh, <laughs> we'll 
we'll sort out for uh, the new season. But take it easy, guys, and we'll talk again next week. Brilliant. Cheers, all. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. 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 Cheers. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.